This is Undisciplined. I'm Nalini Nadkarni. One of the patterns in academic research is for scientists to pursue ever-narrowing topics to move forward the knowledge base of their own fields, or subfields, or sub-subfields. But a new center on the campus of the University of Utah called Nexus serves as a catalyst for interdisciplinary research on 21st century societal challenges. This is incredibly timely, as the nature of many of our societal problems, from human health to environmental crises to social injustices, require knowledge from many different disciplines. Today, we'll be talking with the director of the center, who leads the University of Utah's innovative efforts to address society's grand challenges by helping scientists interweave different ways of knowing to answer some of our most complex questions. Our guest today, Lori Kowaleski-Jones, is a social scientist and the director of Nexus, the Center for Interdisciplinary Exchange for Utah Science, a new interdisciplinary research institute at the University of Utah. Lori, welcome. Thank you so much for having me on the program today. You bet. I am so eager to learn about Nexus. You know, typically I think of academic institutions as being kind of siloed in terms of disciplines, biology in one building here, chemistry there, arts in another place, with really very few mechanisms of exchange across disciplines. But here you are, Lori, directing the Nexus Center, which fosters interdisciplinary thinking and scholarship. I think that's remarkable. And I'm curious, how did the center get going? Well, thank you for that question. You know, I am relatively new in the job, but Nexus is the new kid on the block also. I, it sprang out of a lot of discussions across our campus and across different departments and colleges across our campus. So what would it be like to bring together scholars in a truly interdisciplinary setting? And so those conversations lasted for a, a bit, and then uh, that was kind of the consensus building that moved leadership towards establishing Nexus about three years ago. I see. Fantastic. Your website tells me that your center is helping to address the grand challenges of society. Um, can you tell us about that? Well, the thing about grand challenges, uh, they are are big and they need multiple perspectives. And in this first period of being in existence, Nexus has identified a few different grand challenges, things having to do with climate change and human health, uh, communicating science to a broader audience, issues around opioids and mental health. These are things that are being pursued by folks that are, uh, are associated with Nexus. I'm wondering if, if the University of Utah is the only university that is working this way, or if there are other research universities around the country, or even within Utah that might be doing this. I hope, <laughs> and I know that we are not the only university that is carry, that cares about convergence research. Uh, this is an intellectual tradition that has been present within the NSF since the 50s, uh, but yet this, I, this movement towards convergence re- research is one of their big ideas is a relatively new agenda item, and it's being embraced by multiple um, institutions. Well, that sounds great. I think that sounds really promising. In a place like the University of Utah, where researchers are 
you know, tend to be rewarded by going deeper and deeper into their specialties. Forging these pathways as you're doing between disciplines seems like a really difficult thing to accomplish. And I'm, I'm curious how your center provides help. Like, let's say I'm a faculty member in the biology department, and I have this really pressing, urgent research question that I know requires the expertise of people outside of my own discipline of biology. So I'm wondering if I went to Nexus, what sort of help or incentives could I get that would allow me to approach or connect or interweave my expertise in biology with other ways of knowing from with people from other departments? How do you, how do you go about helping these faculty? Well, there's a variety of ways. First, a lot of times anyway, it starts with a conversation. I'll have a conversation with a researcher and a researcher will say, I'm interested in X. Uh, and chances are I've had another conversation with another researcher that I realize is working on similar projects. So to some extent, I find my role as a matchmaker. Ah. to kind of bring people together, but then there's a bit of concierge um, quality to it as well, following up with those those folks and seeing how it's going. Uh, you know, I think sometimes you can have conversations and they're a one-off, but what you need is a continual conversation. And so I see my role in one way as bringing people together and then checking up on them. That sounds lovely. I'm wondering also about your own work. I know that you are a very prolific researcher. Um, you have deep interests in, in a broad variety of topics. Uh, you're a social scientist. And I'm wondering if you could share with us just a little bit of your own background, your own areas of interest and expertise that has really allowed you to be this, I guess, matchmaker in, in a large, important sense. But, but share with us some of your background and interests, if you would. Sure. You know, I earned my PhD in sociology. And, uh, you know, sociology as a discipline is pretty broad, but it's also pretty focused. And then I went and I had a postdoctoral fellowship in public policy, and I realized that I couldn't fit back into sociology again. Um, I needed a more interdisciplinary home. And so when the job came up here at the University of Utah in the Department of Family and Consumer Studies, I knew I found a winner because this is a department that has uh, that addresses issues having to do with family um, families and health from a broad set of perspectives. So I think that part of my training started um, just in the department that I found myself in. I then you know and I was department chair for six years, so it was kind of a weird. Um, movement to go to another leadership position. But what I saw in Nexus was the opportunity to be smarter. To learn new things. <laughs> I love that, Lori. I love that. <laughs> and to kind of get outside of myself. Um, and so I have developed a, you know, a set of research interests, uh, you know, largely around public policy, the built environment and health. And I have worked on a research team called Energy Balance for the last 15 years. Uh, econ, sociology, environmental science, geography, they all come together. And actually, many of these, these folks are in my department. And we have studied the implications of the built environment for human health for, for some time. So that is how I like to work. So you were kind of a natural when it came down to this. This wasn't some stretch for you. It was something that really lent itself to your own background and interests, which, which sounds fabulous. I also saw from your website that there are nearly 150 faculty that are signed up as Nexus members, and that includes 16 colleges and 56 departments. I mean, that seems huge. But I'm really wondering, like, what are the responses from faculty 
do you have to kind of drag them kicking and screaming into your office of, at Nexus? Or are they kind of lining up at your door and you're kind of holding back the hordes? What, what's the situation in terms of faculty and researchers who'd like to engage in this kind of work? Well, that's a great question. When I first stepped into this role um, this, this past summer, I did a bit of a listening tour with um, with folks on campus, and but then I also chatted with some of my friends who are in similar roles in other um, other centers, and I got this great piece of advice from from one person, and she said, "You can't make people do what they don't want to do," and so it is a sense of kind of understanding where there are some common interests that can bring together a variety of folks, and so that is what I've been about for the last couple of months. And it's been a great uh, process. So, you know, I do think that it helps me to to understand where there could be these moments of convergence. It reminds me of a, a wonderful quotation by Antoine de Saint-Exupéry, who wrote The Little Prince. And he said, you know, if you want to build a boat, don't just gather wood and tell men to sew sails and, you know, look at the compass. Instill in them a yearning for the far and distant shore. You know, and that will help them, that will inspire them to, to build a boat. So I think maybe what your center is doing really is, is helping people fulfill that yearning to get to that far and distant shore of being able to at least address, if not solve, these intractable, difficult societal problems. So I think that's another really important factor in terms of nexus. I love that. I do think that it's this idea of setting a course uh, with some common interests, but from, with, with folks who might not have seen themselves falling in with each other in terms of um, being siloed in different departments in different colleges. So it's sort of if you, if Nexus presents these opportunities with some of the incentives that you offer, like pilot grants and conferences and meetings and space, maybe the academic siloed environment is not so very siloed after all. And that what it needs, you know, what we need here at the University of Utah and other similarly siloed universities in our it's just some place, some group of people who give us permission, really, to intertwine our sets of knowledge with those of others. I think that's true. But I would add that there are some institutional challenges that I think are important to think about. And let's hear those. Well, when I think about kind of some of the institutional challenges, I think about trust mm. and I think about time um, and I think about metrics. Uh, so with the idea of trust is having people come together and learn that common vocabulary in an area where they feel respected. And when you think about the issues of time, it, it is not something that you can do very, very quickly. And so that actually has issues with um, kind of traditional uh, retention, promotion and tenure and the metrics that are associated with that. So I do think that going forward, uh, as institutes like Nexus um, come together and bring people to the table, the university and universities also have to recognize that it's it's a it's something that needs to be nurtured, and the people involved in the in the activity need to to work actively towards developing trust with one another. I love that idea of, uh, you know, I don't think it would have come to my mind right away that trust would be one of the ingredients needed for the recipe for success for interdisciplinary work. Um, I was actually reading a 2021 paper about um, interdisciplinary research in the Arctic, 
that was led by um, Dr. Ernakovich um, at the University of New Hampshire. And one of the things that came out of this paper is that um, the challenges, so, some of the same challenges that you voiced, they also articulated. Their challenges range from team dynamics to logistics to balancing obligations of different career stages, cultural awareness, and funding. Um, they also concluded that most scientists are simply not trained and often not rewarded professionally for maneuvering through these different types of interpersonal and team dynamics. And I'm wondering if you see some of these same challenges in the teams that you have assembled at Nexus. Well, to be fair, I'm just getting started in assembling teams, but I do think, uh, you know, one thing that you that you mentioned was this people in different career stages. Uh, I think, you know, kind of the onus of of mentoring has, you know, traditionally been from full professor to junior. But I do think that one of the things um, that article also kind of suggests that people have an opportunity to learn from each other and to create the space where mentoring can go up or down, but it's not up or down, it's across. Ha, meaning a, an assistant professor might have some words of advice for a full professor when it comes to actually doing interdisciplinary research. Exactly. Got it. Got it. How interesting that this is this is also cultural as well as mechanical or intellectual. And um, it may take some time for culture to tra- change, as, as you said. T- time is definitely an element in all of this. Wondering also about um, how non-academic thinking or values or approaches get into this? That is, are there community groups that are invited in or non-academic groups, or do our academics groups go out to community groups to to get their input and to interweave that kind of expertise? Well, I can speak to that issue in um, with, with one concrete example. Uh, one of the things that we are doing this year is we're having a dialogue series on disparities. And we decided to do something a little bit differently this year insofar as that we have taken about five issues. And what we're doing is we are um, bringing to the conversation an academic researcher. Then we're also bringing to the conversation a policy implementer, and then also bringing to the conversation a policy or a legislator. So for example, we had a uh, session on domestic violence, and so we featured um, the academic research of uh, one of our faculty members, Sonia Solari. Uh, then we also had um, a person that worked at uh, South Valley uh, Mental Services or Domestic Services that does this work. Um, and then we also had Representative Angela Romero uh, in talking about her work in the legislature. So we've been trying to do that um, intentionally. And we're hoping that it will lead to follow-up conversations and working together on, uh, you know, on, on research that includes both academics and policy actors and stakeholders. And that's not something just a plain old academic researcher by him or herself could accomplish. And yet it also goes back to those three words that you gave us earlier of trust, time, and metrics that I'm sure in developing this this work on disparities that you had to build trust you had to take time and you had to establish metrics that were meaningful to each of these three players in this in this set of interactions definitely um i actually taught at uh, for many years at the evergreen state college which is a small liberal arts school in washington state that's devoted to undergraduate teaching and their theme is really interdisciplinary teaching and learning 
And in doing that, I taught with many other faculty from different disciplines. But one of the things that we worried about with our undergraduate students being exposed to interdisciplinary teaching and learning and scholarship is that they did not get the depth that they might have gotten if they were trained in like a standard biology department or if they majored in chemistry or if they majored in uh, social sciences or sociology. And I'm wondering if that that sort of concern about the lack of depth creeps into these kinds of interactions that you are fostering at Nexus, which is among researchers that are already that already have a great deal of depth in their own discipline. Is that ever a concern, the sort of dilution, so to speak, of our disciplinary knowledge? Well, you know, as you were speaking, um, I was thinking about some of the characteristics of convergence research as defined by NSF. And it's this idea of a deep integration across disciplines. And I think it's problem-based. And I do think that a student who approaches a problem is gonna get that depth of understanding. And it's going to get that uh, depth. And I sometimes when I think about undergraduate education, I think it's supposed to teach us how to learn and how, how to be lifelong learners. And so I do think taking a holistic approach um, fosters that journey in a way that is very important. So dilution, no, I think it's more of a, uh, an appreciation of the complexity. Nice. I like to hear that. That's great. I was also curious about the Utah population database and whether that's an integral part of Nexus or is that something that has been used by some of your researchers? What is the Utah population database and why is that important to Nexus? I am so glad that you asked about the Utah population database because it's truly unique. And in fact, there is nothing else like it in the United States because it started with uh, genealogical records um, from members of the Church of uh, Latter-day Saints. And these records were entrusted um, to folks at the Huntsman uh, Cancer Institute to protect. But over time, um, it has become a wonderful research uh, resource where different uh, key linkages of death records, driver's license records, birth certificates, you can do research um, on a population level. And so this is data that is housed um, in um, the Huntsman Cancer Institute. But yet where I see it connecting with Nexus is that it is kind of a big lift in using these data, uh, just in terms of understanding what all of the holdings are, gaining access. Uh, one of the things that I want Nexus to be about is the democratization of data. And part of that is data education and making data available to be used. Uh, and so I see Nexus as a information hub um, and a helper of, of researchers who may want to use the Utah Population Database. It has been used extensively for health research, but I see great new areas for air quality, environmental justice research, uh, that I would love to see Nexus have a hand in catalyzing groups and individuals to think about the Utah Population Database. Fantastic. That is a great vision. And I think I love this term democratization of data. I think very often people hear big data or, you know, that that's related somehow to artificial intelligence, which is very frightening. But I think so much um, that we are doing in science, we collectively are doing in science relies on the data sets of those who have done da uh, data collection before us. And so making those data available to all kinds of people, I can imagine, would be a really important pillar 
of what of what your center is all about. I know that you're new, Lori, and, and you haven't been hanging around the, the Nexus Center for too long, but I'm wondering if you could share any any insights about about sort of the unique value of interdisciplinary scholarship that 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 might have emerged uh, from Nexus. Are there any answers or findings that would not have emerged or been found if the approach of interdisciplinary or convergence research had not been taken? Definitely. But if I may, I would like to say one more thing about the Utah Population Database. Um, given that it is uh, the basis of this data are these genealogical records, I'd like to assure everybody who's listening of the data integrity practices that are in place um, at the UPDB. Uh, typically, if you're using a research, uh, if you're doing a research uh, project here at the university or any university, you're going to go through an IRB, which is the Institutional Review Board. If you use the Utah Population Database data, you go through yet a second set of IRB, which is called RB. Yes, and so it's a second level of uh, data-specific um, sets of, of protocols. Uh, so this data is is very safe and it's very um, meticulously maintained for the privacy of, of everybody who's who's represented in that data. So just wanted to make sure that everybody knew that. But yes, that's super important. I really appreciate your your bringing that in. Obviously, data integrity and and having people feel safe about providing information is of utmost importance with any data set. So I, I appreciate your bringing that up. Um, that's great. Getting to your second question, though, um, was you know. Could we point to a project that maybe wouldn't have happened without Nexus? Um, because when you think about kind of impact, you think about kind of that connection that you that, that was fostered, and, and what happened next. And we have one example that I wanted to share. Uh, a couple of researchers applied for a seed grant. Tabitha Benny uh, from Political Science and Daniel Mendoza um, from Atmospheric Sciences, and there were some other co uh, collaborators. But these are two really different disciplines, and they came together on a seed grant project, um, which led to just a lot of great articles. They were very um, industrious and forming a data set that they did actually place at ICPSR for other people to use about perceptions of air quality. Um, they have drawn other researchers into their work. They have a grant that is pending from the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, to further this work and involve um, stakeholders throughout the state, such as Navajo Nation, to uh, better understand the environmental justice components of air quality. Uh, and this was all started at Nexus and brought two really different um, disciplines and people together and, um, and led to a team that was consisting of undergraduate students, graduate students, and postdocs. And this is really just one example of, of what can be. That is a great example of how facilitation and fostering of these pathways has allowed Tabitha and Daniel to make contributions on a topic that could not have been addressed each on, on his or her own. So that's that's a fantastic example. Um, I want to just sort of finish up here by making the observation that I really love the vision that you have for Nexus and for interdisciplinary research at the University of Utah and, and beyond. And I'm wondering if you have a long-term vision for Nexus. Can you share your thoughts on that? Well, what I would like Nexus to be known for is that place where folks can come together and start conversations. So what does that look like over time? 
over time, I would like to be able to look back and say, you know, be able to point to five, 10 groups that have come together and have um, had their start at Nexus, have pursued funding and have engaged the community in various ways and have led to new knowledge. So one short-term goal, um, because it's hard to think about kind of 10 years ahead, um, <laughs> is that one of the things that I want to do is to bring scholars together around the idea of resilient environments and perhaps pursue some funding from NSF to think about this issue from a couple of different angles. When you think about resilient environments, you know, you can think about it from a biological, um, biology kind of sustainability um, point of view of, of, of a place and its change over time. But then you could also think of the implications of people in that space. And we have a kind of a more psychological approach of people thriving in, in hard circumstances. And so I would love to be known for the place that takes an, a topic like this and takes it to the next level where you bring in the opportunity for more people to be in the conversation. And you can see kind of, you know, hub and spoke of this is a hub and then the spokes are the different projects. That mm -hmm. out of it. Lovely. Lori, thank you so much for the time and expertise that you've provided for us. I really appreciate the work that you and your colleagues are doing, and I appreciate the time that you spent with us today. Thanks so much. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to talk about Nexus. I'm so excited about its future and so happy to be part of its present. Fantastic. Thanks again, Lori. Thank you. Undisciplined is a production of Utah Public Radio. And if you live in Utah, you can listen to us every Thursday at 1030 a.m. on UPR. If you miss us then, you can listen to every episode of Undisciplined wherever you get your podcasts. Our producer is Claire Scott. Our theme music is Little Idea by Benjamin Tiso, And I'm Nalini Nadkarni. Thanks for listening. Now go have big ideas.